little 17-year-old John, the apostle, before he was an apostle, standing on the muddy riverbank, Jordan, listening to John the Baptist, this wild-looking man. He probably never had a haircut. He probably was a Nazarite from the mother's womb. And so with his long locks of hair and camel skin and a leather belt, he's preaching. And he says one day, Behold the Lamb of God, as he's pointing to Jesus from this morning's message. Remember that? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all the imagery that that would have impacted like an 18-year-old John. And he leaves John the Baptist and goes after Jesus. Which was what John the Baptist's whole ministry was, wasn't it? It was not to get people to follow him. It was to get people to follow Jesus. And we need to remember that because even in the church, it is, it is sometimes oddly possible and very really possible to, to want to get a following behind us rather than being happy people are following Jesus. And so we we see in the beginning of the Gospel of John that uh, John unloads in the first 18 verses who Jesus is. He is the pre-incarnate, or he is the eternal God, the pre-existent God. He has always existed. Jesus created everything out of nothing. He is the light that has entered this dark world of corruption. He is holiness. He is truth. He is righteousness. There is no other but him that is right. And... He is also God in flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when John comes home to his mom and dad and says, Hey, Mom, Dad, I'm leaving the fishing business. I'm done now. We're done. I'm done. And uh, we're going away. We're going to follow this Jesus. We don't know where we're going to sleep. We don't know where we're going to end up. We have no idea who's cooking our meals or where we're going to eat. But we are committed to following this man. It must have just shocked his parents. Talk about family discussions. Zebedee, what did you do to our children? They're following some stranger named Jesus of Nazareth. Can you hear the conversations? Until they realize Jesus is the eternal God in human flesh. Then, of course, this morning we looked a little bit at the John the Baptist testimony how he knew he was preparing the way of the Lord, that it was God coming, and he was going to point him out someday. And sure enough, after the baptism, John the Baptist knew who the man was. He knew who the Messiah was. It was Jesus of Nazareth. So now he's pointing people to that, to that man. And so here we have in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, the next day. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the text of Scripture, thank you for the power of the Word of God. And I pray that tonight both the Holy Spirit and the written Word of God would so work in harmony that it would be transformational to our life. Father, I beg you that for those who maybe are without a relationship with Christ tonight, whether whether here in the church or even listening online, I pray that they will place their faith in the one true Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I I pray, Father, for those who are discouraged. They're overwhelmed with the griefs and the trials of life. Life in this world is difficult, as you know, and as your son experienced. And tonight they need a word of encouragement, a word of uplifting and strength. And then, Father, for those who are happily on the journey of life. Keep us humble 
that we might be very close to Christ and eagerly follow him and, and not to try to lead him around, but be good followers of Christ. Let your perfect word have its way in our lives today. Amen. So here the text of scripture is uh, verse 35, again the next day. So this is right after having pointed out, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now the first time he said this, the previous day, he announced this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But nobody seemed to be going after Jesus. They're sticking close to John. That's the comfort zone, right? Sticking close to John. We know John. We know what he smells like. We know what he looks like. We know what he teaches. Jesus is strange to us, right? So they're sticking close to John. And the next day, John's like, Behold, the Lamb of God. Not me, but him. He's the one you want. He's the one you want to pursue and chase after. And, and verse 37 says, The two disciples heard him speak. Now, there are two. We, we know who one is going to be in a moment. It's going to be Andrew, and, and I believe the other one is John. He's not named, but I think it's the writer of this letter. So you have John and Andrew, let's say. Um, verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. All right, they, they left their first teacher, John the baptizer, and instead now they are following Jesus. This is the goal that we point people to Christ, that they would follow him. But look at verse 38. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, he said to them, what do you seek? Oh, don't you love the Lord? Uh, Like, come on. Now listen, get this. Soon we're going to be in John 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about birth. Jesus is talking about spiritual birth, but what does Nicodemus think? He's thinking physical birth. Jesus, I'm a grown man. How can I fit in my mother's womb? This is not biologically possible. Jesus is talking not physical. He's talking spiritual birth, right? Now, chapter 4, we run into the Samaritan woman at the well. She's by a well. She's got to get water, which is a tedious process, every single day of her life. There's no tap water. There's no turning on a faucet. There is getting the bucket, going a mile or two, when is private because of her reputation, you know, getting the water from the, you know, all of the whole thing. And then Jesus shows up and says, I have water for you to drink of which you'll never need another drop. She's thinking what? Physical water. So she's like, well, give me some of that. I want some of that physical water. One drink, I'll never get thirsty. He's like, no, no, no. It's spiritual. Do you see how we're on one whole plane and Jesus is on a whole nother one, right? Um, John 6. The feeding of the 5,000, they all get a free lunch of bread and fish, right? They all come back the next day to hear Jesus. Why? They want more bread. And so then Jesus says, I have bread that, can, that comes down from heaven. And what are they thinking? We want some of that. But he's not talking physical bread like manna. What's he talking? He's himself. You see? Uh, John 9. John 9. You've got a man who is physically blind. And he gets healed by Jesus from his blindness. And he's talking to the Pharisees. And he's like, this man, I once was blind and now I can see. That's all I know. That's my testimony. And when Jesus enters the picture, all the Pharisees are thinking is physical sight. But what is Jesus thinking? Because Jesus calls the Pharisees blind. And they're like, I'm not blind. I got 20-20. 
What's Jesus talking? Spiritual blindness. You know, a whole different thing. So now, he's got these disciples, Andrew and some other disciple, probably, like I say, late teens or early 20s, and they follow after Jesus. Can you picture this? Jesus is walking down the road. Now you've got two teenagers following him, and he, he turns around. He knows what's going on. He's God. He turns around, and he's like, he doesn't say, good, it's about time you believe in me. He says, what are you seeking? Like, what do you, what, what's your intention coming after me? What do, what do you want? Do you want me to um, destroy Rome and set up a nice empire so you can rule and reign in power and glory? And you get the money and the fame and the women and everything that goes with it? Uh, do you want me to just be a free meal ticket, give you some free food and take care of you? Like, what, in coming after me, what do you want? It's a great question, isn't it? I think he's asking us that question even tonight. In your pursuit of Jesus, what do you want? Often, you know why we want to pursue Jesus? Because hopefully he's going to make our life better. Right? I like a full tank of gas. I like a couple weeks of vacation. I like life to go easy and smooth. And if I have Jesus, it's going to be easy and smooth. Is that what he promises? And you know what happens? Believers run into times when things are not easy and smooth. And what do they do? They turn against the very one who created and bought them. Not like Job, though. Job lost everything, including his ten children. Can you imagine that? They, that was all taken in a period of, like, a morning. In one morning, he lost everything. And he bows down, and he worships God, and he says, he says, um, God has given me everything, therefore God can take it all away. It's his. Like, Wow. I think Job was a follower of the one true God. He recognized that, right? So, so Jesus turns to these disciples and he's like, okay, tell me, I want to know, why do you want to follow me? What do you want to get out of this whole deal? Because I guarantee, I think Jesus is saying, it's not the same thing as what I want out of it. What, what does Jesus Christ want out of you? He wants your whole life, Right? It's not, he doesn't just want a little bit of obedience here and a little bit of donation here. He wants your everything. He wants you with every fiber of your being, with all of your strength and all of your might, to love and to serve him above anything else in this created realm. That's what he wants. But what do we want? Are we willing to follow the Savior because he has taken our sin away wherever he leads us, even if it means the darkest, lowest pit of disease and aloneness that this world has to offer? Hey, sometimes that's the path he leads us, right? Look at some of the men and women that God has used greatest. They have suffered in Holocaust camps. They have suffered with torture. Polycarp. Remember the story of Polycarp? Polycarp was the pastor in uh, Smyrna, today Izmir, Turkey. Uh, Really kind of a phenomenal, if you ever get to Izmir, I I was there once, and it um, phenomenal Phenomenal just to see. This is probably where Polycarp pastored. But it was in February of AD 155. He faced certain death during the public games of that month. The large and excited crowds began to rally against him. They were all crying, Death to Polycarp! Away with these atheists who don't believe in Caesar worship. And so they said, Let Polycarp be searched for. And uh, they tortured a young girl who led them to Polycarp. And so the police came for Polycarp. Yet 
Not even the police captain wished for him to die. On the brief journey back into the city, the captain, the police captain, pleaded with Polycarp, Listen, what harm is it to say Caesar is Lord? What harm? By, by offering the title Caesar is Lord and offering a sacrifice, you will save your life. You will live. And you could live to an even older age than you are right now. Polycarp would have none of that. So he was brought into the arena. The proconsul gave him the choice of death or cursing the name of Christ and then make an offer of a sacrifice to Caesar. The pastor's response was that of a fully devoted follower. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Threatened with burning, Polycarp then helped put things in perspective for his enemies. You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire that awaits the wicked in the judgment to come in an everlasting punishment. In spite of the appeals of his persecutors, he was immovable as he was bound to the stake and set on fire. How could he endure that? Because he recognized if you want to save your life here on earth, you will lose it in the end. And if you lose your life during this journey on earth, you actually gain it all at the end. And so Jesus sees these two, and they want to gain their life on earth. I'm, I'm thinking, at this point, they don't know any better. They're like, this is the king of Israel, who the prophet Isaiah says is going to have an expansive kingdom with wealth, happiness, everything. And I want to be a part of that kingdom, not knowing is where it's going to really lead them. you agree? So being a follower is, is simple. Like I told you the other day, simple means not many moving parts. Following Jesus is simple, but, but it's actually very, very hard to do. Well, he, listen to these disciples. Okay, what do you see? Now let's go on to the next text, the next verse. They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? <laughs> what? What? Jesus says, what are you seeking? Uh, what's your address? <laughs> we just want to know where you live. Really? You've got the Son of God in front of you and you want to know his address? Are you serious? Yeah. That's all, because right now, that's, that's what they're concerned about. Uh, We've got to find a place to stay tonight. We're not with John anymore. Well, where are you staying? What's your address? Can we come over and play? I mean, this is what they're thinking. Jesus is so great with them, isn't he? Look at He's beautiful with them. So he says in verse 39, he said to them, come and see. And I think that is a fully loaded question, just like the physical birth, physical bread, spiritual things that are going on in the rest of the book. He is saying, come, you come with me, you join yourself to me in union with me by faith, and you will see the glory of God before you. Isn't that awesome? It's a command and a promise. You come with me, You follow me, you follow after me, and you will see things that prophets and priests have longed to see for thousands of years of history. That's the beauty of it. It's so true. So do you want to come after Christ and see what happens? Really, the life of faith is one of the most exhilarating, shocking, dangerous things you could ever do. It is like a gigantic leap of faith that you think is absolutely scary, but it is the most Beautiful thing ever. But Shadrach, Meshach, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. I like the Hebrew names. Can I hardly say the Babylonian names anymore? Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, the three men that were tossed in the burning, fiery furnace. Remember how they stood before Nebuchadnezzar and said, Oh, king, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
Why do you even ask us if we're scared of this fire? Our God is able to deliver us from this fire. But if he doesn't, our God will deliver us from you, O king. That much we know. So we're safe either way. I mean, I love it. This This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, come and see. You think that they had some stories to tell after they came out of that fiery furnace? Uh, that was cool. Man, that was great. It is worth following our God. So they came, verse 39 says, he said, come and see. Come, join me, and I, will, I promise you will see some absolutely glorious things with the God-man. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. It was four in the afternoon. So they needed to find a place to stay because it's 4 in the afternoon and it gets dark at 6.30 maybe, 7 o'clock, and you don't want to be out on the roads at that time. So they're hanging out with Jesus. What are they talking about? Well, whatever they talk about convinces them that this Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Here's what it says in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak followed him. This was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So we know that was one of the two. He, listen, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. So Jesus said, hey, what are you seeking? At first they want an address, and now they're like, hey, we found something. We found the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised one of Israel, which is translated the Christ, the anointed one. And he brought him to Jesus. This really is the beginning of discipleship. It is introducing Jesus to unsaved people, to people who do not know him, to say, hey, you've got to meet my Savior. You need to meet Jesus. It is incredible, incredibly life-transforming what he has done for us, the love that was demonstrated on the cross. I need to tell, can I share this with you? Can I tell you what Jesus Christ has done for you? Come and see. Now, some may come with you and then reject, but that's not your concern. Your concern is to get to them and invite them. Not just to invite them to a church service, invite them to Jesus. Listen, I am so excited about Jesus and what's going on in my life right now. Can I sit down and have a cup of coffee with you? i got to tell you. I want to tell you what Jesus is doing right now. I mean, he's a real person. Talk about him like he's a real person. Not like, let's pray, let's talk about Jesus. And then we, you know, it's like, no, let's talk about Jesus. And so, incredibly, Andrew goes right away to find his brother. Sometimes the first people that we need to reach are our very own family, and sometimes that's the hardest, isn't it? So when Jesus looked at him, listen to another great point here. Jesus said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. He he doesn't have a relationship with Simon yet in the human sense, right? They just met. And yet Jesus, in his deity, he says, I'm changing your name, Simon. We're not going to be calling you Simon anymore. We're going to call you Cephas, which means a rock, a stone, because that is going to be your character someday. Right now, it's not. Right now, your new name is Foot in Mouth, but eventually, you will be a rock, and you will, you will not budge, right? Until then, you're going to trip all over yourself, right? But Jesus says, I, being with me, following me, I'm going to make you into this new character. And your character is represented by a rock. And is, is Peter a rock? Oh, you bet he is. Hey, not when he's warming himself by the fire in the high priest's courtyard. And a, a little girl goes, ah, I saw you with Jesus. A little girl scares him. Oh, that Jesus, I don't know anything about him. Never seen him. I don't know him. But you talk like a Galilean. No, I don't. It's a, it's a speech impediment. <laughs> I mean, and, and then, remember all of that? 
he doesn't look like a rock, but then the Holy Spirit comes upon him on the day of Pentecost. He stands up and he says, You crucified the Prince of Life, the very God who came to rescue you, you nailed on a cross. It is your fault. And until you place your faith in him alone, you will perish. That is being a rock, and 3,000 got saved that day. Pretty awesome, isn't it? How God transforms our character. Now that's an exciting part of following Jesus. I am not the same person I was 25 years ago. I'm very different. Ask my wife. She saw a lot of the truth. And you guys, many of you here saw me unsaved. And you prayed for my salvation before I got saved. Um, That's just the way it works. Very exciting. But we're going to move on. Verse 43. Because I do have actually three applications. So just hang on there. I'm just kind of going through the narrative and then we'll kind of apply it at the end. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. See, he's on a mission. And he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Um, This time, they don't approach Jesus. Jesus approaches Philip. And he points to Philip and he says, you follow me. This is not the only time that Jesus is going to command his disciples to follow him. Let's take, a quick look. Uh, let's take a quick look through Scripture. Go to John 10, quickly, please. We're going to do these quickly. John 10, 27. Keep you awake here as you turn in your Bibles. John 10, 27. Listen to what Jesus says over and over, both in this Gospel, and then we'll look at a few other texts. John 10, 27, he's speaking about how he is the shepherd and he has a certain flock of sheep. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. I have a relationship with them, and they follow me. If you are one of the sheep of the good shepherd, then you ought to be following your shepherd. Don't go after other shepherds. They are hirelings, and they will lead you astray. But you follow after Jesus. So Jesus says, hey, I have sheep that belong to me. I have an intimate relationship with them. They trust me. They have faith in me. I am their savior, the shepherd of their souls, and they follow me. Where I go, they go. Where I lead them, they, they follow. Let's go on to chapter 12, verse 26. Right before he dies on the cross, right that week, John 12, verse 26, Jesus says to the people around him, of course, this is Andrew and Philip, so he's already told them to follow him, but now he has to remind them. Don't we need to be reminded? You are going to be reminded the next few months over the summer and the fall to follow Jesus, to follow after him. Here, he tells Philip and Andrew, verse 26, if anyone serves me, you want to serve me? Let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. You know what following Jesus is all about? It is being with him all the time. He's sleeping in a tent, you're in the tent with him. He's eating around a campfire, you're eating around a campfire. He walks to the Galilee, you don't, you don't leave, you go to Galilee. He goes to Perea in John 10, go to Perea with him. You're not going your own direction, you're not doing your own thing. You're not like, oh Jesus, I'll be with you for an hour on Tuesday. Every third Tuesday we'll meet and have a little coffee time together. That's our time, Jesus and me. But the rest of the time, I don't have to, I gotta be places. I got things to do. I got people to visit. I got money to make. Jesus, I'll see you on Tuesday, every other Tuesday. But unless I miss it because I might be on vacation. We play that game and it's like, no way. Don't do that. It is every day, Jesus, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? 
Who should I reach? Who should I talk to? You don't think some of this is divine? I mean, why would I go to Pakistan based on a Facebook friendship? I mean, seriously, I thought about this. I was like, Melissa kept saying, you're nuts. (laughs) They're going to kidnap you and hold you for ransom. And I was like, well, I I trust this guy. Yeah, but you you don't know him. There's so many people that deceive on Facebook. I'm like, oh, I think this guy's legit. I really do. You hardly trust me with your life. Well, I know. So... But you know what? Sometimes you don't be, we, we're not foolish. We don't like deliberately go in harm's way. But the, but the thing is, you want to serve the Lord, you follow him. And where he leads, you go. Wherever. I mean, it's not always a, a pleasant path. But where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, listen to this, him my father will honor. So if serving Jesus is following him, and serving Jesus is getting the father's honor, then if you follow Jesus, what do you get? Honor from the Father. Because the Father's like, there's, don't you think God the Father's like, there's no one more precious than my son, the second person of the Godhead. He is the most valuable person in the universe. There's no one more, more, more important than this one. And if you follow after him, I can do nothing but give you honor. Isn't that, isn't that great? But what would we rather have? We'd rather have another week of vacation and some more money in the bank. <laughs> we'd, ra- we'd rather get a new set of clothes. Do you see what I'm saying? It's just like, America, we've got to wake up. We have got to wake up. Well, well, let's move on. Go to chapter 13, verse 36. John 13, 36. The night now in which he was betrayed. Remember now, for three years, the disciples had followed Jesus. Now Jesus, for the first time, says... John 3, 13, uh, 20, 13, 36, sorry, 13, 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. He was going to the cross, and they can't go there. It's his alone. But after he rises from the dead, yeah, Peter, then you follow me. Follow me wholeheartedly. But finally, go to John 21. This is the one I wanted to get to. This, is, this may be all we have time for. John 21, verse 19. Let's start back in verse 18. Jesus is saying to Peter, John 21, 18, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, you walked where you wished. Well, listen, Peter, when you were young, you got dressed every morning by yourself. You were a big boy. Put your sandals on, wrapped the robe around you, and you walked where you wished. You wanted to go to the country market. You went to the country market. You wanted to go to work. You went to work. You wanted to take a day off and play hooky. Uh, go. You did that because you were young. You could go and do whatever you wanted. But... You're a follower of me now. So things have changed. Listen to what he says. Uh, But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you. You're not even going to be able to dress yourself. Somebody's going to have to strip you and put some clothes of mockery on you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. Uh, Peter, as a follower of me, for you, it's going to end with somebody else clothing you with articles of shame and crucifying you with your arms outstretched. That's, that's what you get. What are you seeking? Remember, Jesus said to the disciples, what do, you see? what do you want out of this deal? What's your reason for following me? I doubt they were saying, we'd like to be tortured at the end of our life Girded by somebody else with their arms outstretched. Please, can we have that? 
But Jesus says, you don't know what is involved when you give me everything. Right? And then then listen to this. And when he had spoken this, here's what he said to, to Peter. Follow me. Isn't that great? Yes, you are going to die a torturous death. Follow me anyways. I'm worth it. In the end, I am worth it. Follow me anyways. But you know Peter, he's not the rock yet. He's foot and mouth. So, so listen to what Peter says. Verse, verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. This is John, the writer of the, the, writer of the gospel. Peter turns around. He sees John, who also had leaned on his breast at the Passover supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, seeing John, he said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Okay, this is so human of us. We're following Jesus. We really care about how everybody else is following Jesus, right? But what about you guys? I have to do this. I don't want to pre- preach. I'm scared to death to talk to people. I, I'm, a, I'm a loner. I do not feel comfortable. I've had to speak some different engagements recently. Terrifying. I, I preached a couple of weeks ago. My mouth was so dry. I mean, come on, I've been preaching for 20 years. I still get so anxious. I, I like aged 10 years. And I was so, I was, I was like, oh man, Lord, give me one drop of saliva so I can form a consonant. It was like death to me. And then I'm like, but Lord, why, me, why can't I have an easier following position? You know, just give me something I can do. And so, but listen, we're not to be concerned about each other. You follow Christ in the path he has led for you. For me, it's, it's my course that I'm running and, and walking. And so Peter is so concerned about John, but Lord, what about this guy? Jesus said to him, verse 22, if I will that he remain till I come, if he never dies, if he's still alive when I come back and he doesn't die a torturous death, it's not a big deal, Peter. Get over it. Isn't that amazing? What is it to you, he says? You follow me. Don't worry about everybody else around you. We, we get so, in the church, we get so concerned about everybody else. Let's just follow Christ. And hopefully everybody's going to jump on the same bad, bandwagon. But if they don't, hey, it's up to them. I'm going to follow Christ if nobody follows me. You all, if you all leave, I'm still following Christ. Don't leave. But if you all leave, I'm still following Christ. I, I don't, I mean, I do care, but I don't care. Do you see what I'm saying? Peter is so concerned, and Jesus finally has to say, Peter, get your mind out of, uh, get your nose out of everybody's business and just follow me. Obey. And it's going to mean this death. You, you just, out of the 12 apostles, how many died uh, martyrous deaths? 11. It's believed John is the only one that, this John is the only one that did not die a torturous death. He died of old age, it's believed. The others died horrible deaths. That's what you get for following Jesus. Does this make you want to follow Jesus tonight? <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. Let's finish the text and then we'll, then, we'll be, then we'll go home. So he said to Peter, follow, or he said to Philip, we're back in John 1, and we'll do this quick. Trust me, we won't take that much time on the rest. He found Philip and he said to, me, he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So what does Philip do? Philip's following Jesus. So verse 45 says, Philip found Nathanael. Cool. One finds another, finds another, finds another, and pretty soon Jesus has, get this, out of the 12 disciples, we know at least seven were fishermen. And most of them grew up, probably went to the same high school, lived in the same village. 
or close by. So Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, which is exciting, the seed of the woman and all the things that Moses wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, he's the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to them, Ah, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Do you have time for a little, a little fact about Israel right now? So in Nazareth right now, there's called the city of... Uh, the city. What do you call a church? Uh, church. That's what you call it. It's the Church of the Annunciation. All right? It's a Catholic church, the Church of the Annunciation. It's where supposedly the angel Gabriel met Mary and gave her the news at the well, all of that. There's a well there. So I could take you right now into Nazareth, which is a gigantic city, and bring you to the Church of the Annunciation, which is a big gated complex and all, you know how that all works. But the actual city of Nazareth in the days of Jesus was probably just a couple dozen families, and they found a burial spot of like 24 family names right in that same area where the Annunciation took place, or where the Annunciation church is, and the entire city probably was just the size of the property of the Catholic Church. It was tiny. Like, you walked past, if you walked past, you would miss it. You'd be like, oh, I think I saw something back there. It was, it's, it was, it's just that, it was that tiny. Nothing, nothing big, nothing great. There were no movie stars, no big... Um, nothing came out of Nazareth that was good. So Philip said, come and see. Wait a minute. I don't want to dwell on this too long. What did Philip just say? Come and see. Who else said that? Jesus. What's Philip already beginning to do? He's beginning to talk like the master. It doesn't take long to be with Jesus to talk like him. Right? You can pretty much tell where people are at spiritually by what they say and what they do. Mostly by what they say. All sorts of things come out of somebody's mouth. You're like, I don't think they've been with Jesus lately. <laughs> because Jesus doesn't, doesn't say that type of thing. But Jesus does say, come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. See, Jesus knows us intimately inside. He knows us internally. So Nathanael said to him, uh, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. See, Jesus not only knows us perfectly inside, he knows us perfectly on the outside as well. Where we are, where we're sitting, what we're doing all the time. And do you know what? He loves us in spite of all of that. He loves us. And he loves Nathaniel. So Nathaniel gets, he understands it. He, Jesus just did an absolutely miraculous thing. Nathaniel answered and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are God in human flesh. You are the King of Israel, the one that every prophet has foretold would come. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Like, is that all it took? You will see greater things than these. And then he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Very quickly, Jesus is talking about the Jacob vision. In Genesis 28, Jacob is in Luz, L-U-Z, Luz, and it's not named Bethel yet, and he's tired, so he, the Bible says in Genesis 28, he picks up a rock and he sets it up as a pillow. He must have been hard-headed. Um, he, picks, he puts a rock up for a pillar, a, a pillow, I just... 
Come on, can you find something softer? But, uh, but he, so he's sleeping, and he sees heaven open, and then a ladder fr- that stretches from earth into heaven, and there's angels ascending and descending. But listen to this. Jacob says, I have seen, because at the top of the stairs, at the top of the ladder was God. And then Jacob says, I have seen God. God has appeared to me. He says, this is the city of God. <coughs> And this is the gate of, of heaven. This is how you get into heaven. So he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. So Jesus picks up on that and says, Nathaniel, you think you, did I amaze you with my knowledge of you internally and externally? Although I wasn't with you, I knew where you were and what you were doing. Oh, uh, let me tell you that when you follow me, you're going to see the glory of God in full display. The gate of heaven is right before you, and you will see me do the most remarkable, monumental things. That's worth following Jesus for, isn't it? Not just for the miracles, but for who Jesus is. And so Nathaniel becomes a follower. He, he becomes one of the twelve, and in John 21, you'll see him mentioned again, you'll see him actually throughout the text, but it, it really is phenomenal. So can I give you three quick applications? Number one, following Jesus is a command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It is a command of every believer. Jesus doesn't say, oh, place your, place your faith in me and then just enjoy, enjoy your life and do what you want in your own eyes. He doesn't do that. He says, you are one of my sheep. Follow me. It is a command. And if he has not yet called you to follow him, he is going to throughout this series in the Gospel of John. Remember, it's faith in Jesus Christ alone to, at first. It's justification. Faith in Jesus Christ. He paid for our sins. We trust him, and we receive his righteousness. It's a, it's a judicial act. It takes place in a moment of time, in an instant, and it has eternal ramifications. But after that, then our responsibility is to follow Jesus. And so secondly, it's a call to a relationship. He's inviting them to follow him, not to follow a code of conduct, 10 bullet points, and if you do these things, everything's going to be good, because what happens then? We lose sight of the person, and we begin some type of external behavior modification with no heart, and we become legalists. And we begin to think, this is how I gain favor with God. If I do these 10 things, and I do this often enough, God will somehow give me favor. That's, it's, that's all it is, some type of external behavior. It's not, that's not it at all. We are not called to a code of conduct. Although, will the life of Jesus transform us? You bet he will. He transforms us from the inside out. But it is a call to a relationship. You are spending time... Listen, you guys, get this through in your head. I'm sorry, I'm taking up extra time. You're in a relationship not with a doctrine, but with a person. It's not a doctrine. It's not a dry page in the Bible. It is the person of God in human flesh, Jesus. And then thirdly, it's a call to action. If you follow, uh, you're you're not sitting down. You're, you're moving. You're, you're taking the next step, whatever that happens to be. But I, but I would say it is a call to action. Not any of these, none of these disciples sat back and either did nothing or did their own agenda. They were like, wholeheartedly, it's the mission of Christ. If it meant I get stoned outside of Lystra and um, persecuted in Iconium, so be it. If it means I have some great days, so be it. If all my days are routine, so be it. I'm following Jesus, right? So that really first chapter, is that's what that's all about. Now in chapter 2, 
Next Sunday morning, we're going to begin the wedding at Cana, and we're going to see, as Jesus now says, okay, you're following me? Now, now that you're following me, here's what I'm like. Here's what I want you to do. And it's just going to be glorious. He's going to uncover everything about who the master is that we're to follow. It's beautiful. Uh, let's pray, and then I have just a couple of quick announcements. Father, thank you for our time in the Word of God. Thank you for Jesus calling us to follow him. He is the true one. He is the right one. He is just. And we ought to abandon ourselves and our agendas and our rights and preferences and, and simply say, whatever Jesus says, I will do. Thank you, Father, that we can trust you and we can trust Jesus. And regardless of the path he brings us on, it is the right one. It is the path of light and not of darkness. So thank you for the truth of the gospel, how it has justified those who believe in Jesus alone, and then how now you are working in our lives by grace and sanctifying us, and then ultimately we'll be glorified. Praise be to Jesus forever and forever. Amen. Hey, uh, some very quick things. So Ken Lovell, 